On a dark desert night. A small voice calls. Sister, will you tell us a tale? Jinn, Magians, Sultans, Buried Treasure. We're going to explore what they say about their cultures then and why they captivate us now. Light your lamp and pour some tea while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. We are back at it, folks. 1,001 nights. Getting kind of close to the end of the year. We are. And it was funny because my husband asked me if we were almost out of material for the 1,001 nights. (laughs) He was like, are you guys going to have enough material to get you to the end of the year? And it just, I laughed so much because I'm like... No, I'm like, I'm like drowning in material. Yeah. You know that giant book you see me carrying around the house? It's not the same book. There's three different There's three ones different of that ones. same exact giant size book that comprises all of the thousand and one nights. It's like, that's volume one, bro. Yeah. And it's like, we were like, oh, we have 12. We're going to do 12 episodes like for this project. And it's like, okay, so what material stays and what goes what material has great stories and is relevant to like the greater frame narrative that we're telling what material like has scholarly research that people would, would like to have to get the most out of the nights that they can, if they're like reading it on their own or like when they go and crack it open. So even with that, there are so many stories where I read them and I'm like, wow, that was a really amazing story. But it's a 100 night long epic love story. <laughs> it's like, oh, what am I going to do with that? Like that. <laughs> yeah. We like, I can read it and enjoy it and be like, wow, that was amazing. But it's not going to fit in the format of the podcast. So like, it's just funny to me that it was like, yeah, my husband being like, are you almost out of material? Like nobody. <laughs> no. So this episode is going to be a thousand one nights episode that I won't, I'm not going to say it's like the most important out of like all of them that like we've retold, but what we're going to talk about is applicable to a lot of stories, like throughout the nights where we're going to be talking about specific characters. We've talked before about how there's a lot of characters that have the same like names, but they're not necessarily the same people. Right. Cause yeah, like, there can be a Sinbad that's a sailor and within the Sinbad, the sailor like tail cycle. But then if he shows up as just like a vizier and a different, it's not the same guy. Right. It's another dude named Sinbad. Yeah. But the guy who we're going to be talking about today is throughout the stories. It's the same Caliph and it is a Caliph who actually was a real-life historical person. What? Love it. So this episode, it's going to be history-heavy, but sometimes what I do is I'll tell like a long history lesson at the beginning of the episode, um, yeah. and then we tell a story. But today, we're going to save like most of all of like the history stuff for the end. Ooh. The historical characters that we're going to talk about today, they show up in a lot of the stories of the knights. And so even though we're just going to be telling one of those stories, I was like, okay, this is going to be some important information for people so that when they're reading the thousand and one nights, every time they hear the name 
Harun al-Rashid, they'll be like, ah, ha, ha. I know who that is. <laughs> I absolutely know who that is. So before we do jump into the story, I just want to tell you characters' names to be on the lookout for. So the most important character out of all of these is Harun al-Rashid, who was the fifth caliph of the Abbasid dynasty during what is considered the Islamic Golden Age. So he ruled from 786 AD uh, until 23 years later, and he died on the way to stop a rebellion that had broken out within the vast kingdom. So, yes, 8th century AD. He is a contemporary of Charlemagne. Oh, wow. Charlemagne... There's actually like records of an envoy from Harun al-Rashid going to Charlemagne Charlemagne and like gifting him these like gifts. And there's even some of the gifts that were gifted are in museums today. Wow. That's so cool. So Harun al-Rashid was a leader who is known for, if not starting the Islamic Golden Age, continuing the progression of the country. So his grandfather founded a city that might sound familiar to people. Abu Jafar al-Masur founded the city of Baghdad. Dang. But we should note that the Baghdad that is inside of the Thousand and One Nights does not really match up with how we would be familiar with it like today. Like, So, quote from the Arabian Nights of Companion <laughs> by Robert Irwin. It is hard to distinguish truth from legend in the earliest accounts of the city, and certainly no more remains of original Baghdad than of the mythical city of brass, which is a a reference that we should all be familiar with. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We read a whole whole story about that city of brass. Yep. But what's interesting is that uh, Baghdad is kind of the setting for a lot of stories in The Thousand and One Nights. And scholars can also tell that the story of Sinbad the Sailor, that cycle of stories, even though it was not added to the knights as a whole until the early modern period, they were composed and written during the Abbasid period. They can tell because uh, they said it had to have been when Basra was serving as like the as Baghdad's port on the Gulf, because that comes up a lot in Uh the Sinbad stories. And so it's interesting because it's the scholars have to keep in mind how Baghdad has changed basically from the Abbasid dynasty and again, the 8th century to like today to kind of place things in time of like when they happen. Oh, right. Like you don't think that you would have to like keep all that in mind. Or I wouldn't think like, oh, it's really important to know that like when you're hearing a story and they're describing the layout of something, but the layout that they're describing is one that's from like the 16th century, then mm-hmm. that means that the story didn't happen until that time when it would be like laid out then so yeah 
that's why I'm like, that's why scholars study this stuff super crazy in depth for a long time yeah. because then you can, they're like, they oh, can find stuff like that. Yeah, they can pick up on like details like that, which is like awesome. So the story that we're going to be telling today, I picked it because it basically has the most big historical names like inside of it. And so even though they're like, the most famous cast of historical figures. They might not be familiar uh, to a Western (laughs) audience. So before we started the story, I wanted to kind of give like a quick rundown of who the characters are. And we'll talk more in depth about them in like the second half of the episode after we tell the story. So I've already talked about Harun al-Rashid, fifth caliph in the episode dynasty. The next one in order of appearance inside of this story is Jafar the Bamakid. So the Bamakid Jafar. Jafar. There's there's a lot of Jafars like in <laughs> in history and this uh story. But yeah, it's it's interesting cuz it's our brains and go in to Disney's hit motion picture Aladdin. Oh, sir. Just you wait. <laughs> I have something I have something even more tantalizing that connects to like Disney's Aladdin. <laughs> so like, I'm like, wait one sec. If you like Jafar, you're going to love what I also have <laughs> So Jafar, the Barmakid. So the Barmakids are a family of Persians who actually helped the Abbasid family take control of the kingdom from the Umayyads. There's a lot of words and names that I like just said, but basically this, mm-hmm. this Persian family, since they fought like alongside the Abbasid family, it like goes down the line that you have like caliphs and then their viziers of this family. And so they're kind of, the Persians are ruling kind of on a separate level, if you know what I mean, mm. where they might not be the figureheads of the royal family, but right, but they're kind of like the power behind the Exactly. So what's interesting is that Jafar, real person, but he actually was not the the one that is kind of historically most tied to Harun al-Rashid. He's the son of the guy who ruled with Harun al-Rashid and his name is Yaya Ibn Khalid that's the father the father gotcha and it's also important to mention as i'm going through these characters to mention Yaya Ibn Khalid because he kind of gets a little he gets a little brief mention in this story that we're about to tell so i have a quote that i did not take out of the arabian nights a companion <laughs> This is actually a quote inside of Two Queens of Baghdad, written by Nabia Abbott in 1946. And she is quoting Jafar's father, Yaya Ibn Khalid, talking about when he was working with Harun al-Rashid. And that quote is, Prohibition leads to instigation, especially with caliphs, for although you do not intend to incite one to a particular action, if you prohibit it, you do urge it onward. (laughs) So he's basically talking about how, you know, the Bamakid family would be working with caliphs, and they knew that there was like a way to get what they wanted that wasn't 
you know, necessarily telling them what to do or forbidding them from doing something, but it was gently leading them. Uh, So I'm like, I think that's super fascinating. You know who'd be a fan of that quote? Aesop. I was thinking too when I read that, because I was like, he would do the exact same thing of just like, whisper, whisper, whisper. Of like, hmm, I don't know if I would do it that way. So the next character, in order of appearance, Masrur the Executioner. Nice. Love him already. Masrur the Executioner. So unfortunately, this is a character that in my research, I haven't been able to find like an exact equivalent with this name Mm -hmm. for them. But there does always seem to be like an enforcer nearby... Harun al-Rashid, like, wherever he is. Like, there always seems to be somebody who's ready to to kill somebody. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, like, if I dig even further, if, like, eventually a name pops up where it's like, oh, that's who they, that's who they're <laughs> referencing here. So then also in the story, there is a passing reference to Harun al-Rashid's two most famous sons, al-Mamun and al-Amin. And this is interesting for later because Harun al-Rashid had a lot of children, but these two sons that get mentioned in the story are definitely like the most important historically to have in the story. And then the last historical name that we will hear in this tale is Zabeda, the mother of caliphs. So what's also interesting, she was called the mother of caliphs only Technically, only one of her sons became a caliph. Zabeda is the most famous and influential of all of Harun al-Rashid's wives and concubines. And she also, there's a lot of really cool historical stuff around her when it comes to anybody who's done the pilgrimage from Baghdad to Mecca. Just there's a lot of places that are named after her. And here's, here's a little fun side tidbit. She is famous for also having a pet monkey. No, don't say it. I mean, do say it. And her pet monkey's name is Abu. Yes. (laughs) I love that Abu is a real character. A real person. A real historical figure. Not a person because it's a monkey, but. Yeah, it was like a real uh, historically documented figure. Abu. Queen Zabeda's. Only friend. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. So now that you know the cast of characters, I'm excited to present to you today (laughs) Harun al-Rashid and the second caliph. So one night in the city of Baghdad, the caliph Harun al-Rashid was feeling depressed. It sounds more like he was just feeling some like ennui, you know yeah. what I mean? Where it's just like he was just like like bored and sad and not really doing anything. So he called his vizier, Jafar the Balmakid, and told him that he was bored and he wanted to go out at night and inspect the streets of Baghdad and just investigate to see what the lives of his subjects were like. Which is funny because this is kind of a thing that pops up a lot in The Thousand One Nights is 
Harun al-Rashid is bored. And so he dresses up like a commoner <laughs> with his vizier and he goes out for a walk. Or another thing that is common is that he'll be like, I'm bored. Summon a like poet or storyteller to tell me like stories to make me laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is actually pretty normal for Harun al-Rashid in these stories to be like, I'm bored. Let's dress up like commoners and go see what's up. <laughs> so his vizier says to hear is to obey and quickly got their clothes, their costumes. He's like, oh, right. When we role play as commoners, I'll go into our closet and grab all our gear. And it says he like quickly went to take off all of the splendid robes and to go get the robes that made them look like just common traders. So they they like to cosplay as commoners together. <laughs> and they like already have like their their like costumes like in a back room. It's like just <laughs> I just Ready like imagining go. him going into like this closet that's <laughs> just like this like secret chest where he's like, oh nobody used the key to this secret chest. And they're like, oh what's hidden inside that room? But it's just like grubby clothes. But it's their special little secret. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Jafar then gets Mazur the executioner to also dress up with them and come along because like, of course you can't, you can't go out into the streets of Baghdad without bringing your best friend and your executioner. (laughs) That's who I like to go around the city with. I mean, that's the thing that would scare Like it scares me when I hear this and I know it's not the turn that it's going to take, but it's like, you know, you're like the ruler of this place and you're going out like just with your vizier and you're dressed as a commoner and no one knows who you are. Like, you go out in the wrong part of town and like get something bad could happen to you. And it's like, but you can't go out with like a whole army of like guards around you. Otherwise they'll be like, uh, what's up with this dude? You know? Yeah. So you just have to have one jacked best friend yeah. who carries around a sword everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I think, he, like he I said, they were cosplaying. Yeah. So-, <laughs> so I'm glad I'm just saying, I'm glad it wasn't just him and the vizier. I'm glad there was some, yeah. you know, some muscle along too. Yeah. It's like, this is a buddy system activity. (laughs) Gotta gotta take a good group of friends with you that you can trust. As they are walking in the city, they come to the Tigris River. The Tigris runs right through, like, the center of Baghdad. Um, So they come to the river, and they see an old man who's just, like, sitting on a little boat. And they went over to him and greeted him. And they were like, would you be so kind as to take us on your boat? And like, we'll pay you some money to let us like go on your boat. So the old man was like, I would love to take you on a ride normally, especially, you know, for cash. But I can't right now because every night the caliph, Harun al-Rashid, he sails down the Tigris in this little barge with like all of these people on it. And, like, the people on that barge, like, call out and say that if anybody else is, like, on the water, that the caliph will have their head chopped off or they'll hang them from the mast of their ship. And so I can see his barge, like, down river starting to come up now. And so, like, I can't take you. And Harun al-Rashid and Jafar are like, say what now? (laughs) What happens every night? (laughs) Who? 
So they were like, okay, listen, we will double the money that we are going to give you if you will just sail us over to one of like the arched bridges and kind of like hide in the darkness there. We just want to get close enough to the barge to see like who's on it. We want to get a good look at this caliph. And this like old man was like, ooh, I can't pass up, you know, more money. But you guys have to promise that we'll stay hidden so we don't get killed by the caliph. And Harun al-Rashid was like, I promise you won't get killed by the caliph. (laughs) (laughs) We might get killed by whoever that is out there, but not by the caliph. (laughs) Yeah, I promise we won't get killed by the caliph. So the old man, like, sails them to kind of, like, the closest little, like, archway that he can get them to, and they kind of hug the side of it. And the old man even pulls out this big black cloak and throws it over all of them so that they can be kind of, like, hidden in the shadows. Uh, (laughs) And so this barge, you know, it's getting closer and closer, and... Harun al-Rashid and Jafar are like looking up at this boat. And sure enough, there's a guy who is like decked out in all these like royal clothes, royal robes. And he has a guy sitting next to him that looks like Jafar. Like it looks like a vizier. And then on the other side, there is a guy that looks like Mazur, the executioner, who also (laughs) has like a knife like on his side. And, you know, there's this big festive party that's, like, going on on the boat. And the old man was like, didn't I tell you that that, like, the, the caliph was in this boat, like, every day? And Harun al-Rashid's like, this is fascinating. <laughs> Very interesting. So they watch the boat just, like, sail off away. And, you know, obviously, little mystery going on there. So the old man, you know, he takes them back to the shore and they are kind of like puzzling over this. Like, who could this be? Like, that was so bizarre. And the Caliph says to Jafar, he's like, maybe it's one of my sons, Al-Mamun or Al-Amin. And Jafar is like, I don't, it didn't look like them to me. Maybe we can ask them tomorrow if it was them. (laughs) So they're puzzling over this and they're like, well, this is just astounding. So they were like, you know what? Let's go back home and tonight we'll come back. So they turned to the old man and they were like, hey, if we double what we already gave you tonight, will you meet us here? tomorrow night and the old man was like um i guess why and they're like we want to see if we can get a little bit closer (laughs) to the boat and the old man is just like freaking out but he promises to be there the next day so harun al-rashid and jafar they go back to the palace and they take off their cosplay and they put on their royal robes again And then they sit down and it says that the rest of the day they carried on their regular duties. They saw emirs, viziers, chamberlains, and deputies, and the public assembly was convened. So he had a full day of doing all this work. And then that night, when it got dark, they got out their super secret costumes. (laughs) And put them on again and then went out to that boat to see. And so they get into this guy's boat and they go to the same like hiding spot that they had been in and they wait for that barge to come down. Sure enough, right on schedule, that barge starts like floating down the Tigris. So 
the caliph asked the old man if he could sail into the shadow of the barge so that they would still be in darkness, mm-hmm. but would be able to follow the boat. And the old man, being absolutely terrified, was like, I don't know if we could do this. <laughs> and once again, the caliph is like, we'll double what we paid you. And the old man's like, okay, because he's not about to like give up money. Yeah. So he sails the boat into the shadow of the barge and they follow it along. And after a little while, the barge starts to head over to a pier that you could walk up to. And then there was kind of like a fortified wall Mm -hmm. surrounding. They didn't know what. So they watch as everybody disembarks, heads up the pier and a gate is opened into this fortified wall and these people kind of like disappear inside of it. The Caliph and Jafar decide that what they want to do is they want to like get a little closer to the wall. So they climb out of the boat and they go up the pier over to the fortified wall. And while they're walking around trying to check that out, some guards find them and the guards are like, what are you doing here? And immediately they're like, Oh, we we're not from here and we're lost. We don't know where we are. And the guards ask, are you from Baghdad? And they're like, no, we're from like definitely a different city. That's not this one. (laughs) We're so lost. Is there any way that you can take us in? And so the guards go inside confer with somebody and then they come back out and they're like we would love to have you here you're very lucky that you're not from Baghdad or else the caliph would have had you killed and Harun al-Rashid's like okay settle down so (laughs) so they take them inside and they present them to this caliph the second caliph the title so they introduce these tradesmen who were outside to the caliph and he's super excited to see them and he's like oh we don't often have visitors come and see us we're so happy to see you and Harun al-Rashid and Jafar are looking around and this place is massive really like decorated extravagantly like for as much extravagance as they were seeing on the boat there is even more inside and they're invited to sit down to eat they are looking at the plates in front of them and how fancy and amazing they are and Harun al-Rashid kind of like leans over to Jafar and he was like oh my gosh where did they get these plates we don't even have plates this nice which is hilarious because he's the real Khalid. <laughs> it's a joke. Um, so as he's leaned over, like saying to this to Jafar, this second Khalif was like, what are you guys whispering about over there? <laughs> and Jafar was like, oh, no, no, we're, we're not whispering. We just, we've never seen plates as fancy as this or food as fancy as this. We've been to many royal homes in our travels And we've never seen anything as exquisite as this. And we were just talking about, you know, what kind of a powerful caliph has stuff like this. And the the second caliph, this imaginary caliph, he 
was very flattered by these words and was like, oh, okay, well, wait until you see what I have for us to drink. And so they bring out these like fancy goblet cups, gold, jeweled, fancy goblets, and uh, like all of this wine. And Harun al-Rashid turns down the wine, which is so fascinating to me because one, it wasn't it like it it actually was not that weird for um Muslims don't drink wine. Mm-hmm. And inside of the nights, that it, how strict people adhere to that has like kind of gone back and forth like through the centuries. Yeah. And it's interesting because in a lot of the stories of Harun al-Rashid in the nights, he actually does like drink and engage in a lot of like rowdy and raunchy behavior. Mm-hmm. But historically, Haran al-Rashid did not drink and was apparently like a very pious and like religious man. So it's really actually interesting that in this one story, right. it, it, he, stick, it sticks with that. Yeah. And the second caliph, the guy who's pretending to be him, is drinking. Yeah. So everybody's eating, feasting, drinking, having a good time. And after a couple of glasses of wine... Harun al-Rashid like leans over to Jafar and he's like, wow, I've never seen cups this fancy like this. And like the wine is really expensive. Like this guy, like what kind of money does he have? And the second Khalif is like, what are you guys whispering about over there? (laughs) Have anything you want to share with the class? So (laughs) Jafar like turns and he's like, oh no, we were just like wondering at, you know, how, how beautiful the the cups are, how like elegant everything is and, and how exquisite the, the wine and the fruit is. It's like, everything is so fresh and beautiful. We've never had anything this like wonderful and exquisite. And the second Khalif really enjoyed hearing that. And he was like, oh, wait until you see our entertainment. So the second Khalif hit a little gong And out from the side of the room, a beautiful woman with a lute was carried by some strong men. (laughs) And this woman was like, she was set down on the floor and she started playing these songs. And all of her songs were just like beautiful and exquisite. Her voice was extremely melodious. And then she sang a song and I'll read part of it. The voice of love speaks to you from my heart, telling of me that I love you. The burning pains of a tortured heart witness for me, together with my wounded eyes and my quick-flowing tears. Before I loved you, I did not know what love might be, but the fate of his creation is preordained by God. So she sings this song of, like, unrequited love or, like, love lost or whatever. And the second cleave on, like, hearing her singing this, He starts crying and he started to like tear his robe off of his body in his sorrow, (laughs) which quickly his like attendants like surrounded him with like a curtain and brought him like new clothes. So Harun al-Rashid and Jafar were sitting there going, well, that was weird. What do we do now? (laughs) So after a few minutes, the servants like opened back up the curtain and now this pretend caliph was dressed in, you know, these even more beautiful clothes. And he kind of was like, oh, does anyone want more wine? (laughs) (laughs) 
And he grabs like a cup of wine and drinks another wine. And then he like dings his little gong and another woman is brought back out. And Harun al-Rashid and Jafar were like, okay, okay. We're getting back into the party part of this this night. And again, this like woman sings these like beautiful songs. Somehow her voice is even more extraordinary than the first girl who came out. And then she started to sing this song with these lines. How can I endure it when my heart is on fire with longing and a perpetual flood of tears flows from my eyes? By God, there is no pleasure in life to rejoice me. How can a heart be happy that is filled up with my grief? And this caliph was feeling some kind of way about that song. It was like, lady, read the room. This guy (laughs) just got done crying. Like, maybe stop singing these songs about, like, like tortured, unrequited love. This guy is not into that kind of music. So he starts crying again, and he starts, like, tearing and ripping at his clothes. And again, the attendants quickly come, and they, you know, cover him with a curtain and bring him some more clothes. And Harun al-Rashid and Jafar are like, what is this guy's problem? This is so bizarre. So after a couple minutes, they remove the curtain and he is sitting there wearing, you know, even more beautiful clothing. And he was like, oh, so is everybody having fun? Is everybody having a good night? Does anyone want some more wine? So he like drinks another cup of wine. (laughs) Just like, buddy, I think you're a sad drunk and maybe you should stop. Uh, So he drinks like another glass of wine, dings a little gong. Again, a woman is brought out and things are going well. Also, she has a beautiful voice. But then she again starts singing a song That is very much about, like, unrequited love. I swear to you that my heart cannot forget you. Have pity on the emaciated lover, sad and grieving, passionate and enslaved by love for you, worn away by sickness through the excess of passion. He beseeches God for your approval. Full moon, whose place is in my heart, how can I choose any other but you among mankind? So, again... He kind of has a little bit of a freak out and starts crying and rips off his clothes. And again, they come and they cover him with a curtain and bring him new clothes. And at this point, like Harun al-Rashid and Jafar are like, um, I don't know if I want to hang out with this guy. (laughs) He seems like unwell. So once again, they kind of, Pull the curtain back, and this guy's in even better clothes. Again, they pull back the curtain. He drinks some wine, rings a gong. Another lady comes out. She sings a song again, really bumming him out. This time when he starts, like, ripping off his clothes, the attendants were a little slow to, like, put the curtain over him. And Harun al-Rashid and Jafar see that this guy's back is covered with whip mark scars. And they are like, whoa, what happened to this guy? Because no caliph gets whipped. Yeah. Which is funny because I actually discovered that in my research that like even like the children 
like wouldn't get like beatings, not Beaten. like that. They would get right. hit, but not like that would leave like marks like that. So Harun Al Rashid and Jafar are looking at each other and they're like, dude, what did this guy do to be to get like whipped like that? Yeah. Because whips like that are from like proper torture whipping gear. Uh <laughs> like cat and not like <laughs> No. Proper whipping gear. Jeff knows what I'm talking about when I say proper whipping gear. Cat and nine tails. Yes, that is what I mean. So as the second caliph is changing into his clothes, Harun al-Rashid and Jafar start like whispering to each other because Harun al-Rashid was like, oh my goodness, did you see the marks on that guy's back? And Jafar was like, I absolutely did. Do you think that he is like a criminal? Because like the only way that you would have like the scars that he like had was if he had been like sentenced in a court for doing something like illegal or whatever. Right. Something like that. So they were kind of like, who, oh my goodness, like who are we with? Like who is this guy? So the curtains kind of get pulled back and the second cleave's like, what are you guys whispering about? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, bro, we're, you obviously. And Jafar was like, oh, we were just talking about how, like, you must have so much opulent wealth because, like, you can rip up such nice clothing and have, like, even nicer clothing, like, brought out to you. How wealthy you must be, you know, to to be able to do the thing that you were doing. That was not weird, totally normal. We're definitely not (laughs) judging you. And so the second caliph was like, oh, yeah, well, my attendants know that, you know, any clothing that I damage, you know, I give I give to them. So it's kind of like a kindness, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> like, buddy, this is really embarrassing for you. So Jafar, after the second caliph had, like, explained that, Jafar came up with these, like, poetic lines. And this is also interesting for the story because, like, at the time – Poets were kept like in the court and it was custom that they would get paid for like extremely like clever verse or verse that like pleased the person that was listening to the poem. So it's interesting because it's like just like a little thing that's like thrown in here, but it was like actually a very common custom because Jafar, after he had explained, you know, that, oh, this is like a kindness that I do for my People, Jafar says, generous deeds have built their home in the palm of your hand, and you have allowed all of mankind to share your wealth. The doors of good deeds may be shut. Your hands are a key to open them again. And so Jafar basically is like, oh, yes, yes, yes. You're very generous. You're very kind. You don't like buttering him up. And the second caliph loved that he'd said that. And he was like, oh, that's so nice of you to notice that I'm so generous. Here is a thousand dinars and a fine robe for you to have. And Jafar was like, oh, thanks. Works out well for me. (laughs) So then Ron al-Rashid like leans over to him and is like, Jafar, ask him about the scars that he has on his back. And Jafar was like, I'm definitely not going to do that. (laughs) Like, that would be really, really rude for me to say that to like, like the host of like our evening and then Harun al-Rashid like leans back over and is like Jafar I'm the caliph you might want to remember that and Jafar was like oh right (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny it's like this guy's playing pretend Uh, I'm legit (laughs) 
we're going to go home from this and I'm going to, you know, still, I'm still the Khalif. Um, which I was like, hilarious. So Jafar was like, so we uh, noticed while you were, you know, ripping your clothes so generously <laughs> that you have like some marks like on your body. What happened to you that would cause those like whip marks? And the young man smiled and he said, well, my story is a strange one. But and then he recited like a little poem where he's like, my heart senses that among you is our imam, the caliph of our age, descendant of the best of men. The second of you is called Jafar, vizier and counselor, son of a counselor. The third is Mazur, sword of the caliph's vengeance. If it turns out these words of mine are not false, then I have what I hoped for from this whole affair and joy of heart arrives from every side. And when they heard him say this, you know, they were kind of like, oh, he like he, he already knows who we are. Like he's already figured it out. Yeah. So they were all kind of like taken aback, like, oh, no, he might know who we are. But then Jafar swore to him. It says using ambiguous terms. So probably not like oaths that no, they, they weren't they weren't the Caliph or Jafar. That's not who they were. And they just were interested in this young man's story. And so he laughed, and then he started to tell his tale. So the second caliph says, all right, he's pretty drunk at this point. He's, he's free-flowing with the words, slurring a little bit. He's like, I'm not the commander of the faithful. That's what he like, called himself, which I thought was interesting. Like, oh, that, like that's the pro- oh, that's, it's the proper, the proper title for a caliph is... Commander of the faithful. Commander of the faith. Interesting, because it's like a caliphate is like a religious. It's both. It's yeah, a it's, religious leader and, and like, a like basically combined, like a yeah, like a religious yeah. government, which is interesting. Commander of the faithful. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Anyway, so he's like, I'm not the commander of the faithful. I'm not the caliph. I only said what I said because I wanted to get my way with the people of Baghdad. You know, I am actually Muhammad Ali, <laughs> the boxer. <laughs> No, I mean, the jeweler. I don't float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, but if you buy two sets of earrings, you'll get one for free. (laughs) (laughs) I came up with that on the spot. I... That is amazing. <laughs> I was trying to. I, I was just going to say the one I, thing, and then I was like, "How do I? How do I incorporate this other part to it?" And it just came to me. That was genius. <laughs> if I had a thousand dinars, I would pay you <laughs> for that beautiful poetry. That was incredible. And if I only got four thousand more dinars, I'd be able to buy that huge barge that they were riding around on. Oh. He's like, so basically what happened is I'm a spoiled rich kid. I inherited everything from daddy, including my jewelry store. But one day I was at my jewelry shop and this absolute Ted walks in. <laughs> this, this absolutely beautiful woman walks in with three maids in tow and she wants to buy a necklace. And so I'm like, oh, I definitely want to get this woman what she wants, trying to impress her. So I bring out every single necklace I have, one after the other. Hundred necklaces I show her. She didn't like any of them. And she's like, I want something that is way better than any of those. And so I just so happen to have a necklace that my dad bought for 100,000 dinars. 
and it is unlike anything that anyone on this entire earth owns. Like no royalty, no anyone owns a necklace as great as this one. So I bring it out and I show it to her and she loved it. So she's like, hey, I'll pay, I'll give you, you know, whatever it takes to make it a 5,000 dinar profit on it, which she accepted gladly, you know, and she's like, you know, you got to make a profit. It's like, no, that's how business works, lady, but thank you. So she invites <laughs> me back to her place so that she can pay me. And when I say her place, I should say her humongous mansion that's like covered in gold and jewels, her door was like inlaid with gold and silver and lapis lazuli, which is blue. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like, very it's pretty. A, it's like, uh, it's a, yeah. I've seen it in person before. Deep blue metamorphic rock. Gorgeous. Anyway, and that door, that very well decorated door was inscribed with these words. House, may no sorrow enter you and may your owner never be betrayed by time. How good a house you are to guests when they find shortages elsewhere. So it's like, seems like yeah. generosity is kind of a big theme here. So one of the maids invites me in, sits me down in the sitting room, and I'm there for a little while when all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I notice this chair, this golden chair that's draped in this big silken cloth. And the maids very dramatically lift the drape up off of the chair to reveal the woman who'd bought my necklace. And she was beautiful. I could see her face this time, her unveiled face. It's like her unveiled face was like a rounded moon, which I'm like trying to imagine what that looks like on a person, but okay. I love it how often people's faces get compared to like a moon. They're like a moon on the 15th day. <laughs> and it, it's like... Okay, like a perfect circle. <laughs> a perfect circle that's just like radiating and it's beaming. It's like Charlie Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I saw this beautiful round moon face and I was shook. And then this lady looks at me and she says, and this is a quote, Light of my eyes, are all those who are as handsome as you so pitiless to those they love? You know that I love you, but I never believed that I could get you to come to me. And it's like... Wait, wait a second. What's going on here? Like, they literally met just an hour ago, and she's like, I love you. Why are you so mean to me? You love me, but why? And it's like, okay. Anyway, so then she leaned in, and she kissed me. And I mean, she's a beautiful moon-faced lady, so I kiss her back. Then she pulls me in closer, pulls me right into her breast, it says. Uh, <laughs> Things are getting pretty heated at this point. And Jeff is getting a little worried about the direction this story is going to take. <laughs> in fact, it says directly in the text that from my condition, she realized that I wanted to lie with her. I'm like, I don't know how she could have possibly told that from his condition. <laughs> and so she noticing this, realizing my desires, like, wait, wait a minute. Not so fast, Buster. You're going to marry me first. It's like, do you know who I am? I am Lady Dunya, daughter of Yeya Ibn Khalid, the Barmakid. And my brother is Jafar, the Caliph's vizier. I'm just like, I like I love that part just because I'm imagining Jafar sitting there listening to the story going, Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what are you telling me about? Because <laughs> he's just like talking about like hooking up with his sister. <laughs> Jafar, yeah, Jafar's like really into the story, like, yeah, get into these details. And it's like, whoa, whoa, no, hold up, no, stop. 
He's like, Lady Dunya. She's the, and he's like, I know exactly who she is. Please stop talking. <laughs> so, you know, she's going on saying that we got to get married. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this whole thing was your idea. You made me want to be with you by bringing me here to your house. And she's like, oh, you'll get what you want. Uh. So I'll have some officials drop a marriage contract. And when the officials show up, she's like, guess what? We're getting married. And they're like, all right. And they start drawing up this contract. And I guess like they were married like right then and there because they moved like right into the reception. So there we are. I'm back in the persona of Muhammad Ali telling the story now. Thank you for So there we are. The wine is flowing. We're feeling the the vibe. And we're like, you know what this party could use is a little music. So Dunya told the loot girl to go and get her loot. The loot girl. Loot girl's, girl's gonna, gonna get, get her loot. Loot, <laughs> loot girl's, girl's gonna, gonna play her loot. loot. <laughs> Which is a really like, if you get that reference, oh my gosh, you that's are like people. such like a deep '90s cartoon <laughs> cut. That's that, like that's not even the line. All that's just the cadence and yeah. and the rhyme. And it rhymes with the actual yeah. uh, one too, but. Anyway, so Loot Girl goes and gets her loot, and she plays the most beautiful song. And not to be outdone, Dunya takes the loot from the Loot Girl and starts playing her own song and singing. So I'm not going to do the whole songs of verse two, but it's stuff like, you know, I swear by the... So Dunya's singing this song. I suffer fire from your parting. Pity these entrails burning with your love. You who are full moon shining in dark night. And then, you know, like... She's singing this song. I'm feeling it. I take the lute and I bust out my own song. And I'm like, praise be to God who has given you all beauty so that I have remained among your prisoners whose glance enslaves all of mankind and on and on stuff like that. Talking about for my heart, you are the hellfire and the delight of paradise. So Lady Dunya, she was into that. She was so into that, that. She stops the party immediately, dismisses all her maids, everyone that's in the room, and the sexy times begin. (laughs) Quote directly from the text, she and I were alone as lovers. I thought what you were trying to say was that the way you being like them, they had sexy times. I thought you were saying that was a direct quote, and I'm like, that'd be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And now cover your ears, kids, because... It's very like, it's a very oblique reference, but if you know and you hear these words, you're going to feel some kind of way about what Muhammad Ali says about this (laughs) encounter. And he says, quote, after they've been alone as lovers, I found her to be an unbored pearl and a filly that had never been mounted. I enjoyed her and never in my life had I experienced a sweeter night. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I bet, dude. You're like, buddy. Those, Calm down. <laughs> you didn't need to tell her brother that. <laughs> <laughs> Jafar is sitting there like, bro, I did not ever want to hear someone say that about my sister. <laughs> and so I'm Muhammad Ali again. So we led the newlywed life for a month until Dunya decided that she was going to go off to the baths. And so she's like, hey, you sit here. Don't move from this couch until I get back. And I was like, okay, I plan to do just that. But seriously, the second she walked out the door, an old woman barged in saying that Lady Zabeda, Huran al-Rashid's favorite wife, wanted to see me at once. And you know, I figured, oh, she must have heard that I was a man of wit, a man of culture, with a voice like a dove, and she just wanted me to come and entertain her. And I was like, wait, okay, lady, 
I can't leave. I literally just told my wife that I was gonna stay here until she got back. And this old lady is like, okay, look, you do not wanna make an enemy out of Lady Zaveda. Like she will ruin your life. And so I'm like, ugh, fine, okay, I'll go. And so I went with the old lady to see Lady Zabeda, hoping that I might be able to make it back before Dunya got back from the baths. Just as I suspected, I show up. Lady Zabeda wanted me to sing her a song. And so I did. I sang her this amazing love song. And of course, Lady Zabeda loved it. She thought it was amazing. She loved it so much that she's like, okay, thank you. I can tell that was inspired by your love for whoever. Wished me well and told me to rush home before Dunya got back. But I was too late because when I come back to my couch, I see that Dunya is already asleep where I had been sitting. And so very carefully, gently, I sit down on the couch and I start stroking her feet to wake her up, you know, gently. And at that, she opened her eyes and saw me. She puts both of her feet together and gives me a full-on mule kick to the chest. <laughs> It sends me flying off the couch. As lovers do. <laughs> and she starts like screaming at me. She's calling me a liar. She's like, you liar, you promised. And she commanded one of her slaves to get out his sword and cut off my head. Her maids jumped in and like, whoa, 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 whoa. But he, I don't think he deserves to die. Like, yeah, you didn't do what you said. So they talked her out of killing me, but she still had me beaten. And those marks on my back, those are the marks that I got from when she had me beaten by her slaves. And then she kicked me out of the palace. So after healing from my wounds, I went to my shop, sold it, sold all my belongings. And I bought these like 400 servants. I commissioned this boat to be built. It cost me 5,000 dinars. And then I started calling myself the Caliph. And you know what? I was like, if, if I'm going to pretend to be the Caliph, we're going to do this thing right. So I had my servants start dressing up like the Caliph's servants, start acting like them you know, like going all out. So they were just full on doubles of all of the Caliph's servants. And then I had it proclaimed as we're cruising down the Tigris that if anyone were to come across us there, that I would have them immediately executed. <clears throat> I'm drunk. I would have them immediately executed. And I've been doing this for about a year now and I haven't heard any news of Lady Dunya. I haven't seen any trace of her. And then at that, Muhammad Ali, usually so strong, <laughs> breaks down in a flood of tears for like the fifth or sixth time that night. He's like, I don't normally have guests over. And they're like, we can tell. <laughs> Buddy. So Harun al-Rashid, after hearing this, he can see how passionately Muhammad Ali's like feelings are <laughs> for ladies. I just get every time Muhammad Ali. I know. It just is like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, you warned me that this was based on real people, so <laughs> I should have seen it coming, right? Yeah. <laughs> the most important character of them all. Like, this is real historical figures. So Harun al Rashid, after hearing this tale and seeing this poor man breaking down crying, he could tell how passionately and intensely Muhammad Ali loved Lady Dunya. So Harun al-Rashid like jumped up and was like, 
asked for permission to leave, which he didn't say anything except like, is it okay if we leave? <laughs> which I'm like, that would have come off really weird. This guy's like sobbing and he's like, um, can we be excused? <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, they like didn't, they didn't tell him anything. They just were like, like, all right, that was fun. We got to go by. So I'm assuming they just left Muhammad Ali to sit there and sob, but they raced back to the palace. So they get back to the palace and they quickly like switch out of their commoner cosplay clothes and they put on their regular royal robes. And then Haran al-Rashid turns to Jafar and he said, go and fetch the young man who porked your sister. <laughs> 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 Can you imagine? <laughs> I I cannot. So Haran al-Rashid turns to Jafar and he said, please go and fetch the young man whom we were with last night. And Jafar says to hear us to obey. And he quickly went and retrieved the young Muhammad Ali and brought him back. I'm going to say his name as many times as I can. Oh, yeah, please do. <laughs> and he went and he came back with Muhammad Ali to the palace of the caliph, the real caliph, Harun al-Rashid. So Muhammad was feeling uh, a little bit of fear because he had been taken under like an escort with him. And, you know, he'd also been pretending to like be a caliph and like telling everybody he was a caliph for a year, which is like, you know, probably a no, no <laughs> under yeah. normal circumstances. So when he is in front of the caliph, he bows down in front of the, him and, you know, pays him all the honor that he deserves and pretty soon, you know, the cleave is like, like, okay, okay, okay. I understand. I would like you to tell me what transpired in your home last night. And <laughs> Muhammad immediately got like afraid and, you know, was feeling like really nervous. And the cleave like assured him that everything was going to be okay if he just told them, you know, what was going on. So Muhammad told the whole story again, start to finish what went on. So Harun al-Rashid, after he had heard the story all over again, said to Muhammad, would you like to be reunited with your love again? And hmm. Muhammad Ali said, I want nothing more in this entire world if the commander of the faithful would be able to give that to me. So turning to Jafar, the caliph told him to go fetch his sister, Lady Dunya, and Jafar said to hear us to obey and went off, got his sister and immediately returned her. And when she appeared, the caliph, Harun al-Rashid, the real caliph, <laughs> he turned to Lady Dunya and he said, do you recognize who this is? And Lady Dunya said, how can women recognize men? <laughs> They're all the same. Cheating garbage. No, she didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but she does give that kind of like offhand remark. Of like, how would a woman know a man? And the caliph smiled and said, Dunya, don't you recognize your lover, Muhammad, son of the jeweler? I have heard the whole story from start to finish. And everything that was hidden is a secret no longer. So Lady Dunya, she kind of 
realizes what all is going on. And she says, this was surely written into the book of fate. I ask the almighty God for pardon and the mistakes that I made. If Muhammad will forgive me for my haste and anger towards him. And the Caliph laughs and Muhammad says he forgives her everything. If she will forgive him, everything is like beautiful and lovely. And the Caliph quickly calls the Quadi, that's a judge, and the notaries, and they have the wedding contract renewed between Lady Dunya and Muhammad Ali, the jeweler. And they all lived happily ever after until they were visited by the destroyer of delights. Death. <laughs> I, I always like how the stories end like that. We're like, they lived happily ever after until they died. It's like, okay. <laughs> That's like, they're not, it's not just like, until they passed peacefully into the night or something like that. It's yeah, like, it's, until they were visited by, by the, the destroyer, destroyer of delight, of delight. And the parter of companions. So <laughs> I'm going to end it the way I like to end it. So yeah, please like, do. And so they all lived happily together for the rest of their days. Until they were visited by death himself. I'm like, <laughs> oh, gosh, geez. That was a fun one. I enjoyed it. So to me, there's like obvious, there's like some stuff that narratively I don't fully understand like why it plays out the way that it plays out. Because I don't fully understand Muhammad Ali's plan when he was like, I'm going to dress up like a caliph and that will help me get this lady back. (laughs) Which, I mean... Yeah, I didn't understand his plan, but it kind of worked. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe he's just operating on a whole other level. Because, like, yeah, it's a dumb plan, but, like, if he hadn't been pretending to be the Caliph, the Caliph never would have been like, okay, let's check out who's pretending to be me and trying to execute people. And then, you know, that that is what directly led to him, like, being back with his love. Yeah, for, like, whatever reason, too, I keep thinking of the great Gatsby where I don't know how many people in our audience have like read the great Gatsby. I had to read it for like English class, but it's like this guy is trying to like win back this girl that he had known like before the war, but he had been poor and she ended up marrying like a rich guy. It's like very complicated, but basically he kept throwing part. He got rich then was throwing parties every night hoping that she would show up like at one of his parties. Um, but he would like stare out the back window at like this like river. (laughs) Anyway, which like this being on a river and this guy being like, how do I get this lady back? I know I'll pretend to be a Khalif and throw these massive barge parties. (laughs) (laughs) It just is a little great Gatsby for me. Yeah. Um, Now we know where he got the idea. (laughs) He read the thousand one nights. Yeah. Oh, for a second, I thought you meant the great. I thought you meant that Muhammad Ali got this idea from the Great Gatsby, which is a, a funny joke since, like, chronologically, it doesn't work. But I, I see what you, right. I see what you're saying. It's a less funny joke because it temporally <laughs> makes sense, but yeah. Uh, Unless this Muhammad Ali is the Muhammad Ali, and he's a time traveler, and 
read The Great Gatsby, went back in time, all of this stuff happened, and then he used that. And then also Gatsby read The Thousand and One Nights, which is what inspired him to do that in the first place, except that's fictional. But I guess F. Scott, Fitz, Scott Fitzgerald read that and then decided to make Gatsby do that. And it just creates this time loop that cannot be escaped. You're blowing my mind, man. And that's going straight to the outtake. <laughs> So the other thing that might be like a little bit confusing is the like, why did Lady Dunya get so upset when he went to see Lady Zabeda? Yeah. So there is a lot of like implied stuff that goes on when we're talking about harems and kind of like what goes on behind closed doors with like all these ladies and harem politics. Mm -hmm. And so it could be like several things, but kind of what was implied, I feel like what was like implied in the story was that Lady Zabeda asking for this man to come and perform for her, like go and to sing for her. What's implied there is a little bit more than singing. Right. That that what she was asking for was something else. Right. Because we know what happened the last time he sang for a lady. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it, so it's interesting that when he sang the song for Lady Zabeda and it was about like a person that he loved. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I can tell that you actually really love this person that you wrote this song about. You should go. Yeah. It was her basically being like, oh, we're not going to hook up. <laughs> Got it. That makes sense. Never mind. Yeah. But, you know, when Lady Dunya heard where he went, she obviously was like jealous and upset because she thought that something was happening. And it also makes sense that like he was kind of in like an uncomfortable spot because if Lady Zabeda asked him for something and he declined he could get in bigger trouble because this is like the caliph's favorite wife. And if she went to the caliph and said, oh, he tried to do something or he, mm. whatever, he insulted me, what, he killed my monkey, like whatever. <laughs> like he could in theory be put to death without even, you know, getting a hearing. And so he was kind of put into like an impossible situation, but he got out of it by, Lady Zabeda hearing the song about this other woman and being like, oh, I can hear that your heart belongs to somebody else. You can go. So that's kind of why, you know, Lady Dunya was as as upset as she was as upset as she was. But again, like it's also I feel bad for him because even if he had kind of had to decide just to hook up with Lady Zabeda to live, should Lady Dunya be mad at him? Or because there's kind of a weird power yeah. dynamic there thing like going yeah. on there. She should be mad at Lady, Lady Zabeda. Lady Zabeda, yeah. Absolutely. And so there's there are like a lot of stories, not even inside of the knights, but just like historically that have circulated about like rumors about like harem politics and things that go on behind these closed doors and these like fancy places, whether like whether they're true stories or fake stories, like I think everybody can imagine like what I'm talking about where it's like stories of 
concubines poisoning other concubines or concubines that fall in love with each other and then like have problems like there there's all kinds of there's like a section of historical folklore all inside of like harems <laughs> uh and so yeah this one it's just like a little little like, like dip into Right. What kind of like what kind of stories circulate around harems and like the complications that arise in in really weird power dynamic like ways. Also, why eunuchs were typically the the men that were in charge of guarding the harems. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So at the beginning of this episode, I kind of said, you know, I always try to find really good reasons to pick the tales that we pick and the topics that we are trying to include in the series, since it's going to be like limited. I was like, it's kind of self-imposed limited. I could go on and on boring people for years. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that it's pretty like, it's like just a cool fact that, you know, Harun al-Rashid has stories inside the thousand one nights and he's a real person. That's super neat, but that is not the only reason why we have to talk about Harun al-Rashid when we talk about the Thousand and One Nights. Harun al-Rashid is important to talk about when we talk about the Knights because there is a chance that if it was not for him, we probably would never have had the Thousand and One Nights compilation that we have today. So, quote from The Arabian Arabian Nights Nights of Companion Companion. by Robert Irwin. (laughs) Most scholars agreed that The Knights was a composite work and that the earliest tales in it came from India and Persia. At some time, probably in the early 8th century, these tales were translated into Arabic under the title Alf Lalay, or The Thousand and One Nights. The original core of stories was quite small. So why do scholars think that it was in the 8th century? because of the translation movement that went on. So around 750 AD, there was a lot of expansion going on of this kingdom. And there had been some Chinese prisoners that had like kind of prisoners of war that had been brought in to the country and they taught how to make paper. And once they had this technology of paper that made it a lot easier to write down larger and larger volumes, the Abbasid kings wanted to start getting works translated. And a lot of different caliphs started putting a lot of money into hiring transcribers and so they were hiring people who had a lot of different like languages who knew a lot of different languages it was either Harun al-Rashid who started the house of wisdom or his son al-Mamun who started the house of wisdom and this was a place where they were keeping volumes of books volumes that were being translated translators would be writing stuff down copying it onto this like paper this like new technology paper and copying things from greek indian persian and other languages and the reason why there was such a big push for persian works was because of the barmakids 
Because like I said, there was this Persian family that was in charge of a lot of stuff too. And so they were having a lot of stuff that was Persian translated. So you had stories from Persia that ended up in the Thousand One Nights as it was being compiled. Most of the stuff that was being translated wasn't actually stories. That was actually very low on the list of like priorities of (laughs) stuff to like be getting written down. But during the translation movement... In the Abbasid era, you had all of these scholars of mathematics, science, engineering, astrology gathered together, taking books from all around, taking works of scientists and translating them and putting it into this house of wisdom, this like storehouse of wisdom. And a lot of scholars date the end of the Islamic golden age with when this library, the House of Wisdom, was sacked and destroyed when the Mongols were attacking Baghdad. And it's because like this House of Wisdom was like this, it was not only like a symbol, but it was like actually like the hub for a lot of these advancements that were going on. So then... In Iraq in the 9th or 10th century, this original group of like stories started to have things like added onto it from other places, like other stories that were like beloved were added onto it. And 9th and 10th century was when you start seeing tales getting added in that include the character of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid. And so it was like, a couple hundred years like after he had died, but he was such an important historical figure that people were talking about him like among like the common people and adding him into stories that maybe he didn't originally belong into, but they were like, like, no, he is like ours. So I think it is like absolutely fascinating that, you know, there's this character who we have today in the 21st century, who is still in so many stories of the Thousand and One Nights, and some of the things that he did and his family did while they were in power actually helped to create, like, to bring together all of this material to, like, turn it into, like, a solid, you know, core of stories that then moving forward was this like incredible work of art that also includes some of the people historically who helped bring it to pass. So whether this story is about Harun al-Rashid actually, you know, show him the way he really was, or whether they are just like fun folk stories that were created about him because he was just such a larger than life historical figure for these people. So whether they're real or not, I thought he was just absolutely an important character that people have to know about if they are looking into the Thousand One Nights. Because if you are reading the stories just for pleasure, you need to know about who this guy is because he pops up. And it helps if you have a little backstory on who these people are. It was interesting even because this story, when they start talking about Lady Zabeda in the story, they don't even mention in the tale that she is the caliph's wife. You are supposed to already know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the stories with him 
are like that, where you're just supposed to know who they these people were because the people who were telling these tales just knew who they were. Yeah. So if you were reading the stories for pleasure, it's vitally important that you know who this character is so that you can, you know, get more out of the stories. But then also just to appreciate how the knights historically got to us the way that it is, Harun al-Rashid is an absolutely vital figure in history for people to know about. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. All of that was stupid and I hated that I said it. <laughs> <laughs>